This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Merry Christmas to you, because this is our Christmas show, and thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. If you're looking for a battery electric pickup truck, you should have an amazing range of choices in the next couple of years. We'll give you the details on the recently announced newcomers in that segment, a segment that didn't exist before. The nominee for the head of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has vowed to get to the bottom of the safety allegations and investigations that continue to dog Tesla Motors. And we'll have more on that coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Got a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based at one end of the country, a very snowy end of the country this time around, and I'm at the other one. One of the things we have in common is testing cars. One of the things we don't have in common is a lot of snow on the ground. Chris, tell us all about that. <laughs> I hope you're doing well, Jack. Yeah, we got a, quite a nice storm yesterday. I got to test out my new electric snowblower, like I told you. And interestingly, I think I mentioned shopping for a car a few weeks ago. The car that I shopped for is being delivered on Wednesday, a couple days late due to the storm. So uh, all around a pretty pretty typical New England winter so far. Yeah, and you have that new uh, test car and uh, do stuff with car uh, to put together. So that's kind of cool. That'll be very, very neat. Uh, yeah. We also have a terrific guest. Our special guest is Jaguar Land Rover Product Marketing Director Finbar McFall. As you may or may not know, there is a new Range Rover. You know, the flagship of the Land Rover brand, the new Range Rover has just been introduced. And I had a chance to sit down with uh, Finbar McFall for an in-depth interview talking about the vehicle. So we'll have that for you. In the road test segment, Chris, you will be telling us about what? The 2022 Hyundai Venue. A small crossover. You and I had a chance to uh, go to the introductory event of that. I, that might, might have been one of the first times we ever saw each other face to face, right? I think it was the first time, yeah. Yeah, so that was exciting. Well, it was a, a ways back. It was in the pre-COVID era, which seems like decades ago. Um, I had the opportunity to drive one of the most unusual of vehicles, uh, unusual vehicles available in the U.S. market this year, or maybe any year. Uh, this is the all-electric Mazda MX-30, and I'll have the details for you. It's kind of a surprising vehicle, so look for that. Before that, we have some of the latest automotive news. And, of course, Tesla is always in the news, so we have some information about that and about electric pickup trucks. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad, back with you. And it's automotive news time on Christmas Day. And uh, as you might guess, not a ton of news on Christmas Day, but there certainly has been news Christmas week uh, that we're going to share with you, including the fact that there are many, many more electric pickup trucks teed up, <laughs> including a pickup truck from uh, GMC, a new all-electric Sierra. That seemed to be inevitable since there's an all-electric Chevrolet Silverado on the way. Uh, Toyota has announced uh, plans for an electric pickup truck. You know, they want to wade into that. And Nissan is also out there. They have a electric truck prototype. It's called the Surf Out. So obviously it's uh, 
designed for a particular mindset and, you know, to get attention. Uh, this just keys up the fact, though, or uh, plays up the fact that uh, a lot of companies get a lot of money from building pickup trucks, number one. Certainly the domestics uh, virtually live to do pickup trucks. Chris, there's a lot of activity in electric pickup trucks. What's your take on all this? I think it makes sense that EV, uh, the next wave of EVs will be shaped like the vehicles that most Americans already buy. As you know, uh, like the Ford F-150, the Chevrolet Silverado, those are the, the two uh, two of the best-selling vehicles in the country. So it only makes sense to see EVs shaped like that. And secondly, I also think that uh, the EV powertrain works well with the truck form factor. It's you know, a bunch of heavy batteries. The truck gives more room to spread some of that out and give it a good weight dist distribution. So I think it works for a bunch of uh, different reasons, and I can't wait to drive one. Well, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that. Typically, you and I agree. We're of the same mind, but I'm not necessarily on board with that. The reason being is the weight of the batteries. And when you're talking about a vehicle that's meant to haul stuff, which a pickup truck is meant to haul, uh, that's the reason for being. And then you throw something like a thousand or twelve hundred pounds of batteries at it before there's the you know one Kleenex box is put <laughs> in the truck bed. That's a lot to haul around. So I'm not certain uh, of the uh, just the utility of these vehicles. I think a lot of people are excited about this because we sell so many pickup trucks in America. So all of the players want to be in this market. But at the same time, I'm not sure. Uh, of the all-around utility of a pickup truck that's battery-powered. I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I can see where you're coming from. You look at vehicles, like you mentioned the uh, GMC Hummer EV. is It's such a giant vehicle. It only ma it manages a payload of around 1,300 pounds because of the batteries. But, uh, you know, I think that, that Americans are probably still going to buy them quite a bit. And if, if that's what it takes to get us to uh, adopt more EVs, then I guess I'll get behind it. Yeah, well, we shall see. And Rivian, uh, of course, a maker of electric trucks. The R1T is a uh, finalist in the North American Truck of the Year competition. We're going to see the uh, announcement of that uh, in mid-January. We'll talk about it here on America on the Road. But Rivian has uh, gone public with the fact it's probably not going to um, produce as many vehicles as it initially said it was going to, which is <laughs> a bit troubling uh, troubling to investors. And I think we're going to see some of those ups and downs. I mean, you know, with supply chain issues and everything going on, uh, they're having some difficulty, you know, getting production ramped up. It's it's never easy, as Elon Musk has said over and over again. They have also announced plans to build a $5 billion plant in Georgia, uh, which should give them a lot more capacity. They're getting a ton of pre-orders. And one of the things they're doing that I think is, is very smart is they are selling to the commercial market. They plan to have a commercial van, although they're R1T truck is seems very, very consumer-oriented, uh, not at all commercial. I've driven that vehicle, and uh, it's a fun-to-drive vehicle that still has me scratching my head a little bit trying to think uh, who's going to buy them. But they have 71,000 pre-orders, so I guess 71,000 people are excited about, about that vehicle. Uh, we'll have to see how that unfolds. Uh, what's your take on what's going on with Rivian as a, as a startup? I think it's very encouraging. Well, so first of all, yes, I'm not an investor, so I'm not going to comment on that side of it. But, uh, you know, I think it's encouraging that they were able to hit at least their initial one of their initial rollouts uh, in September. You know, there were some delays, of course, with supply chain issues in the pandemic. But as you mentioned, even for a company like General Motors, uh, it's tough. It's tough getting the supply or the production lines rolling at this point in time. So uh, kudos to Rivian for getting a few trucks out the door, although it looks like 
Uh, most of them are going to Rivian employees at this point in time, at least on social media. So, you know, I think it's great to have an upstart that can make a pickup truck or an EV of any type and actually have it hit the market. You know, uh, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the Lucid Air uh, and those sorts of things. But uh, I'm always encouraged to see any company come out of, well, nowhere, even though Rivian's been around for several years now. Uh, and make an EV that can, that can compete with the legacy automakers. It will be fascinating to see how Rivian and the others compete. Uh, certainly a lot of people would like to be in that segment. And I know that Ford and General Motors in particular are not going to go easily and uh, let a lot of their volume uh, in the pickup truck segment fade because that's certainly a cash cow for them. That keeps them going. And uh, essentially they've decided to become truck companies. So uh, that's very, very important to them. Well, in another story, uh, there is a new uh, nominee to be administrator of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. His name is Stephen Cliff. And when he was questioned by Congress about the confirmation uh, to that post, one of the things he talked a bit about was Tesla Motors and all the investigations that are around Tesla Motors. And uh, he, he mentioned that he would like to bring those investigations to a close. As I say, there are several. In August, uh, NHTSA opened an investigation on the autopilot system, something you and I have talked about, about a lot, uh, Chris. Uh, first, calling it autopilot is a, a bit scary. But um, there are other investigations also swirling around. Twelve crashes that involved... Tesla vehicles using advanced driver assistance systems. They're also wondering why Tesla hasn't issued recalls to address software updates that it's made to this autopilot driver assistance system. Tesla also did a recall of 12,000 uh, vehicles uh, about a communication error and uh, false forward collision warnings. That isn't great because it activates the brakes. <laughs> Not something you, you want to have happen just out of the blue. Uh, what are your thoughts about all this, Chris? A, a lot swirling around Tesla that uh, seems to be buried a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, there are there are a lot of things going on, and you know my feelings on calling it autopilot. I think it is, uh, I think it's a disservice to buyers. You know, it's not autopilot. The car can't drive itself without human input. All these things. And so, but regardless, and you know my opinions on what things are called, and, and what, regardless of what you think about Tesla, it just shows how much faster technology is moving than the legislative and, and regulatory environment. And so uh, even if this is singling out Tesla at this moment in time, I think it's a good thing to go ahead and get these topics out in the open, discuss them, come up with some sort of framework around how to regulate these things, and then go forward. Because the truth is that there are going to be more vehicles that can do these things hitting the road in the next coming, you know, the coming months and, and years. And we need to get a handle on it because uh, you, we're going to start seeing more of these crashes, not just from Tesla. So uh, they're leading the way, yes, but I think it's a good thing to go ahead and get these, these things out in the open. Here's one thing that I really found uh, uh, amazing, uh, beyond just troubling, but amazing. Uh, NHTSA is discussing with Tesla a software update that lets users play video games on a touchscreen mounted in front of the dashboard. Like, what are they thinking? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just baffled by a decision like that to essentially distract the driver intentionally. I mean... What do you think about that? Yeah, <laughs> I think the uh, just so uh, make sure I have my facts all the way straight. I think initially it was intended to, to work while the vehicle was sitting still and then somehow made it through that process and was able to be used in some vehicles while they were moving. Uh, don't shoot me over all the, the facts there. But I think that is, you know, first of all, 
why, <laughs> you know, everyone has a phone in their pocket. There are plenty of reasons to be distracted without adding another one to the dash of the car, like you say. So, uh, you know, I can't see any practical reason for that. Yeah, in some ways, it seems like Tesla is just trying to show off or continue to be leading edge by doing things that maybe are, you know, bleeding edge as opposed to leading edge. I'm just, that's a head scratcher to me is why any any uh, sane car company would, would put that in front of their drivers. It does seem uh, a little bit like they're opening things up for liability there, but I'm not a, not an attorney. So no, and you don't even play one on TV and that's, <laughs> that's to your credit, Chris. But when we come back, we'll be road testing some vehicles. Uh, and they are very, very interesting vehicles. One vehicle, uh, you're li- liable not to see if you don't live in California. So uh, we'll tease you with that. And when we come back, uh, Chris Teague and I will be talking a bit about, uh, vehicles we've driven in the past week. So stay with us right here on America on the road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Red with you. And uh, the show is airing on Christmas morning, so Merry Christmas to you. I hope Santa came down your chimney and uh, delivered a lot of uh, goodies to you, that you've been a, a good person through the through the past 12 months and uh, scored some great Christmas, Christmas gifts and uh, that we think about the Christmas season and what it's all about. And uh, one of the things it's about for us is driving cars. It's a, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And uh, Chris, you were driving, a, I think, quite an interesting vehicle in nine inches of snow or something like that in Maine. Tell us all about that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I always argue with people about the need for all-wheel drive or the requirement to have all-wheel drive uh, before you drive in the snow. And I think the Hyundai Venue that I drove this past week was a great example of why that's not true and, and why the right tires are the case here because uh, the Hyundai Venue is only front-wheel drive, and though it has a snow mode, a snow driving mode, uh, it did just fine with a nice set of tires. Uh, and obviously, I wasn't out in the thick of the storm, but uh, later yesterday, while there was still plenty of snow on the roads, got out and had no trouble at all. So uh, kudos to Hyundai on, on that. I think that a lot of people should look at front-wheel drive with snow tires instead of all-wheel drive. Uh, but that's not the the topic of this review. So uh, I was driving the 2022 Hyundai Venue. This is uh, the second year that the Venue's been on sale. It came out in 2021. Uh, Jack, you mentioned you and I drove it on the unveiling drive in Miami in January of 2020. It was quite a quite a fun time there. But uh, I drove the limited trim, which starts at just a little bit over $23,000, which if you're saying to yourself that's not a lot of money, it isn't. This is a great value. Uh, the least expensive is now the SE model. It's just over $20,000. And you get all sorts of uh, great safety equipment there. You get alloy wheels, you know, mentioned front wheel drive, and plenty of interior space. Uh, Jack, I want to get your feeling on this after I read these specs out for the engine because I, I have a question about the transmission that I want to hear. But uh, all the venues get a 1.6 liter inline four cylinder engine. It's got 121 horsepower, 113 pound feet of torque, and it's paired with a CVT. Now, this was one of the oppor- one of the opportunities to test the CVT. A lot of vehicles have them now. I am thoroughly impressed, even more now than I was when we drove this thing in Miami. What do you think of Hyundai's work with the CVT? I know they've been doing uh, dual-clutch transmissions a lot lately and some others, but I think they do a great continuously variable uh, gearbox. What do you think? 
I think it's a very, very good one. And I think in this application in the venue, it makes a lot of sense. It struck me that when we drove the venue in Miami, they kept us on very flat roads. Of course, the, the, there's no elevation change in the a whole state of Florida, typically. Uh, so if you have a low horsepower vehicle, that's a great place to introduce it. You know, pro tip, uh, if you're going to introduce a vehicle uh, with not that much horsepower and the venue doesn't have that much horsepower, uh, don't put people on hills. And uh, so I think we experienced that. You were, were driving it, though, in tougher terrain, I think. Uh, not that you are in mountainous territory necessarily, but back to your question, I think uh, the CVT works quite well in this particular application. I agree. And, you know, yes, I do agree that 121 horsepower is not going to win any drag races. But I will tell you that in the snow, less horsepower is not always a bad thing. It actually helps uh, control wheel spin a little bit better. So was able to get out and move. And to be completely honest, while the venue is a very small vehicle, uh, especially looking at it from the outside, you'd wonder you know, what, how a family could ever fit in that and, and ever drive around. I think that having the, the space that you do, so it's got 19 cubic feet of uh, cargo space with the back seats folded up, and that increases to 32 with them folded flat. That is less than what you get in like a Honda CRV or a Toyota RAV4, but it's still a lot from from such a small vehicle, like I said. Inside, you know, I'm going to mention that I'm six feet tall, Jack, and I know you love it. We all love it. I think the audience loves the <laughs> fact that you're six feet tall, and you continue to be six feet tall. You haven't changed. I think that's laudable. Yeah, I think if... If I start decreasing, you know, we can we can talk about maybe going to the doctor. But both of my kids are now in, in booster seats. My younger daughter is now uh, – she now weighs enough and she's tall enough to sit in a booster seat. So we don't have the giant rear-facing seats or the giant full-size seats with the harnesses and everything. So there is more room in the back seat now than – you know, you've heard me complain in the past about bumping into car seats and things. Uh, I think for parents, especially with older kids or, you know, young adults, whatever the case might be, you got plenty of room back there for them, especially if the driver and the front passenger are not exceptionally tall. Uh, you know, visibility is good in all directions. They've got uh, Hyundai put in great windows on the sides. And these, even though the driving position is pretty low, uh, the hood tapers off. So you've got good visibility and good inside space. Uh, there's an 8-inch touchscreen. It's standard. It runs Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. My limited model had navigation, although the lower trims do get Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. So you've got maps built in with your smartphone there already. Uh, and in terms of safety equipment, Hyundai threw in a bunch of stuff uh, for standard equipment. Four collision warnings, lane departure alerts, and a driver attention monitoring system are standard. And they helped the venue earn a top safety pick in 2021. Uh, the 2022 vehicle has not yet been tested, but I assume and expect that it will be uh, similar there. So all around, a great value. I think that if you've got a small family, a few people to carry around and maybe even a dog, uh, you'll do just fine with the Hyundai Venue. And don't worry about the snow because it does just fine. Well, don't worry about the snow. And I would worry about the snow if I had nine inches of snow. So the fact that the, uh, you were able to navigate that without much difficulty, I think, uh, says a lot for the venue. That's that's a good, good thing. Well, I was driving a vehicle that I, I hoped to like. <laughs> One of the reasons is it's a very unusual looking vehicle, and I think it's really cool looking. It's the Mazda MX-30. It is their small battery electric crossover. It's in some ways uh, related to the CX-30, but it doesn't look exactly like a CX-30. I think it's much cooler looking, actually. So, like I say, I, I wanted to like this vehicle a lot, and I'm not saying I didn't, 
but uh, we'll we'll get into the review and you'll you'll see what I think about this vehicle and 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 see where I'm coming from. I think this is a vehicle that is very well equipped. It is also uh, only available in California right now, so that kind of <laughs> kind of limits the market quite significantly. Although I think the California market is bigger than the, the complete Canada market. Go figure. But it's uh, it's available in California. It starts at about $35,000, which is a lot of money for a small SUV, about the same size as the venue that you just tested. It's fitted with a lot of stuff, and I think maybe that's good or bad uh, in an electric vehicle. Uh, it's bad because it's just adding more weight and stuff and stuff that requires electric power. Uh, but it has LED lighting with adaptive headlights. It's got a power moonroof, parking sensors, uh, rain-sensing windshield wipers, um, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. It's got a not only a great exterior style, I think kind of a fascinating looking exterior style, but it also has a really interesting interior uh, with synthetic leather and textile combination upholstery. So that's good. It has the Mazda issue um, uh, digital infotainment screen. It's a pretty big screen, 8.8 inches of infotainment screen. But where it's placed, it's, it's so far away from the driver that it actually looks much smaller. You know, a lot of these screens are a lot closer to the driver. This also is not a touch screen. Uh, you have to use an on-console controller. And what's your take on that, Chris? I mean, you've driven a lot of Mazda vehicles with that. You probably have not driven the MX-30, but what's your take on this uh, console controller rather than a touch screen? I haven't driven the MX-30. Uh, and so I think that there is a learning curve. And, you know, while you do get over that, uh, if you own the vehicle for longer than the week that you and I test them, you get used to it. I'll say that there's some functional speed bumps there that you're never going to get over, such as scrolling through a long menu with one of those dials. You just got to crank it, crank it, crank it, crank it instead of you know swiping with your finger. Uh, I think there's some functional things that just don't go away over time, but it does get easier to use. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, let's talk a bit about the driving because uh, we had a chance to drive it. It is fun to drive in its own way. 143 horsepower. And that doesn't seem too terrible for a small crossover, but at the same time, it it has a battery pack that uh, weighs almost 700 pounds, so uh, that limits some of the, the power. It feels actually pretty punchy as you get into the accelerator. I don't want to say gas pedal because there's no gas, of course. But as you get into the accelerator, it feels punchy, but uh, 0 to 60 acceleration time is almost 10 seconds, and that's quite slow these days and really slow for an electric vehicle, uh, kind of surprisingly slow. It feels more sprightly than that. It feels more fun than that. I hate the fact that whenever we talk a bit about uh, electric vehicles, we talk about low center of gravity as if that is the be-all and end-all for handling. Uh, I guess it's good for handling, but uh, I'd rather have a little higher center of gravity and not so much gravity, right? Not so much mass. Uh, If you could... uh, ditch the several hundred pounds uh, from this thing, it, it would certainly be a lot more fun to drive. It still is fun to drive in a, a Mazda kind of way. The big problem with the MX-30 is its range. A hundred miles of range just doesn't seem to me to be enough. It's among the lowest amount, maybe the lowest amount of range of any vehicle out, electric vehicle out there, certainly uh, of its competitive set. And it just... Maybe it's okay in Japan, maybe it's okay in in Western Europe or other places, but I just don't think 100 miles of range is enough. And I'll give you a perfect example. One day this past week, I had an errand to run, and I I was actually speaking at an event that was 45 miles away. And I went, well, should I take 
this MX30 down there. And then I went, well, if I do that, I'm probably going to have to charge it somewhere along the way. I'm not sure where to charge it. And I don't want necessarily want to put myself through that. So I took a, a different vehicle. And I think you're going to have that trade-off a lot. You know, 45 miles away isn't that far. But if it's a 90-mile round trip, you're putting yourself absolutely on the edge. How do you feel about that, Chris? Yeah, I think unless you can afford or, or have the ability to have a vehicle that you use exclusively for urban you know, commuting to your job and back, if you live close enough to do that, it's hard to to say that that's going to be like good enough for you. And I do think that Mazda is going to try to re remedy that for buyers by offering them access to other Mazda vehicles if they need to travel you know, outside of 100 miles or whatever the case might be. But for everyday driving, it would be hard for me to to get around that number. Even though I move closer into the town where you know my kids' school and, and work and everything are, that's still a day, day and a half of driving for me. I could easily go through that. So, And I think a lot of other people do too. So uh, tough to see how that's going to do much, at least you know in the short term. Yeah. So I would say this is a vehicle that has a lot to offer. Uh, it's, it's cool looking. Uh, the driving experience is a lot of fun. There's a lot of good to it. And then you have uh, maybe a, a tripping up point depending on what your use case is. If you're just commuting back and forth and, and maybe there's a charging station at your work or you have uh, quick access to that, all good. Uh, if you live in an urban environment and you're relying on public charging, I think 100 miles of range would just drive you nuts. <laughs> you had the Hyundai Venue and you liked it a lot. I did too. So I think that's a keeper. And for the right person, I think the Mazda MX-30 is definitely a keeper, but you have to be that right person. And when we come back, we will be doing an interview with Finbar McFall. He is going to be telling us about the all-new Range Rover that has just been introduced. So stay with us for that interview. And with Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad with you at the Los Angeles Auto Show with Finbar McFall. He is uh, the caretaker of the Land Rover brand here. Number one, thanks so much for uh, being with us. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Jack. Good to see you. Tell us a bit. You're introducing a new Range Rover product, and I know you want to talk about that. You're, you're super proud of it, as you should be. It, it comes along uh, once a decade or so. Yeah, you got it. So uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so wow, what a moment. You know, because you can imagine it takes, it takes several years to get to this point, so it's just a real moment of joy to be able to talk about the new Range Rover, share it with, uh, share it with our customers. And uh, it's all new, is the first thing to say. And... Um, you know, when we look at how do you replace a car like a Range Rover, I mean, so that's an exciting um, conversation to have and to be part of that team. But it's also, it comes, that's a lot of responsibility. And um, where we start is always by understanding what makes it special. We really obsess about how do we make a Range Rover a better Range Rover. Well, tell us that. What does make it special in your mind? In Range Rover's mind, what, is make, what makes Range Rover special? Two things. Here's the, here's the secret to Range Rover's formula. Okay. Capability and refinement. Those two things together. So all the way back, you know, 50 years ago, when this car was first thought of by Sven King and his team, they came up with the idea of putting these two attributes, these two elements together, which is kind of crazy because they, they're not natural bedfellows. Right. But, um, but together, it, it works. And uh, that's range, I mean, in fact, it's where the name range of Range Rover comes from. It's breadth of capability. And it always remained relevant. So relevance now for this latest generation is about having capability and refinement, 
and then with an element of electrification and connectivity. Right. Logically, you would have capability and not refinement, or you would have refinement and not capability. So the magic formula is making these two coexist in the right amounts. Talk a bit about the challenges to that, because there have got to be many. It. You got it. So it's, um, it, it's really about, and, and you know, if you think about the development of Range Rover from model year to model year, generation to generation, we look every time to take, um, it can be a big step or it can be a marginal gain. Um, but we always look to improve its breadth of capability, both off and on road. So this is a beautifully elegant looking car, um, but that Land Rover badge on the car, that's a seal, that's a promise to say you can rely on this car to be an exceptional uh, off-roader. Can still, this car can weigh it up to three foot. Um, it has a, it can uh, take an incline of about 45 degrees, so that is, um, trying to think in ski parlance, in the US, that's a, that's a black diamond. Yeah. That car can head up. Um, hey, that's up looking off a cliff, thing. basically, is what yeah. you're looking at. Yeah. So um, it does all of that, and then it's exceptional on-road. So you know, to give you an example, we've now standard on the new car is four-wheel steer, and that has a number of benefits. It makes a big car behave like a small car when you're parking. So it'll have a turning circle of under 11 meters. It's about 36 foot. Um, that's, that's the normal turning circle of a much, much smaller car, a compact vehicle uh, in US speak. Um, but it also works at high speed as well for lane maneuvering and, uh, and cornering. Uh, I've been lucky enough to drive uh, the prototypes and it just, it feels really secure, unshakable. You know, and, and dynamics in range of the world, it's not about out and out performance, it's about composure. And it's that feeling of being control and command. Um, so breadth of capability, on-road, off-road, um, and then also uh, about adding this element of um, making it easy to live with every day. So of course we've added an element of electrification and connectivity. So I mean, new news, big news for the new Range Rover is um, it arrives with a new plug-in hybrid. That'll be you can order that um, from January. And I know so far in the U.S. plug-in hybrids have been had a relatively small share. This is, and it sounds like semantics. Uh, but this is really important, it's an extended range plug-in hybrid. So it has a range of it's certified for the European markets of 100 kilometers, so about 60 miles here. So our data tells us that's about 75% Yeah, that's that's way at the outer edge of what's happening with a plug-in, yeah. Yeah, average Range Rover drivers, 75% of their journeys could be pure EV mode. And um, I mean, that's perfect because of course when you think about refinement, capability refinement, what's more refined than the silent running of EV. And there's something very satisfying about that. I mean, it's a, and it's a pretty smart system. It even has an element of geofencing. So now imagine I've put into my navigation, I'm heading to an area uh, with ultra low emission zone. Uh, the car will know to save enough of the uh, battery or the um, electric energy in the battery to uh, flip into EV mode when required without you having to intervene. So very elegant touches, the way a Range Rover should be. Yeah super easy, it does the hard work for you. Um, and when it comes to connectivity, um, we'll have Alexa in the car, and even here we've, we've thought beyond just the fact of having Alexa. So ordinarily when Alexa is integrated in the car, it's courtesy of your phone, so it's sort of by proxy. We have it integrated, embedded into our infotainment system, uh, Pivi Pro, so you don't need your phone, it's just there. Once you've set it up through your account, then it's set up. You can use it very And naturally. she's eavesdropping on you the entire time. Well, you, <laughs> can, you, can, you can choose 
Um, How much, right? You know, yes, exactly. And when? Exactly, it's exactly your choice. And I think for someone, um, you know, if you're used to using that in your home, it just becomes a natural extension. And, and it even understands my accent, Jack, which is, uh, you know, there's a step forward. I, your accent is wonderful. <laughs> I, you know, I wish I could emulate that. I, I'd sound a lot smarter just right off the top, uh, which wouldn't hurt in my business. Oh, I forgot. Um, there's a rather big one I forgot. Yeah. Especially for our U.S. customers, the arrival of seven seats, um, which is a huge story. So that is an option with the long wheelbase. And uh, for some time now, uh, and I should say, of course, sorry, let me, let me take it back a step. Of course, we understand Range Rover's formula. The other very simple thing we do is we just talk to people. We have, as you can imagine, big company, we have resources at our disposal. We look at demographic shifts, psychographics, um, we have conjoint analysis. We also just talk to real people and have real conversations. And in those conversations, American customers told us, oh, why wouldn't you offer a, a third row? Because invariably, now imagine the archetypal Range Rover owner. He or she is lucky enough to have multiple cars in their household. But the keys they reach for most of the time, most days, are the Range Rover keys. And occasionally they haven't been able to take it because occasionally they need the third row. So now it's an option. And it can accommodate up to six foot uh, adults, not just fitting somebody in the back, but get in, getting in and out of the back is easy too. Elegant the way it should be in a Range Rover. Okay. In terms of uh, what Range Rover is, what Land Rover is, two things are going on. One is you know what you are. The other thing is the consumer knows what you are. There are brands out there where the consumer is unsure of what that brand stands for. I think it's pretty clear what your brands stand for. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk a bit about Range Rover in the context of the la Land Rover and all the Land Rovers sure. out there. Uh, put that into perspective because you have a really coherent range of products yep. that I'm not sure are necessarily clear to all our listeners. Okay, well let me let me give you. Oh, this is a these, these are the kind of questions I love answering, Jack. So, <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So we don't we look at our brand. I like to think we look at our brand differently from the way most other companies look at the brand. So a Landover brand isn't a story of one, two, three, or ABC. Our cars are not bigger or smaller versions of one another or cheaper or more expensive. They're different flavors, different offers, um, connecting with different customers. So we see very little overlap between each of our products because they, they have the right mix of attributes um, for different customer bases. At very high level, Landover is the brand and, from, and within Landover there are three families, Range Rover, Discovery, and Defender. All Land Rovers, that badge is your seal of approval of capability, of course, no question. Then within that, the Range Rovers are the most capable and refined, the Discovery is the most capable and versatile, and the Defender is the most capable and durable. Now they all share elements of those attributes, but that's where we turn the volume up in each of them. And, um, and it sounds relatively simple, and it is. Um, that's our, and of course on top the of that- The best ideas are simple, I think, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, and it's something that it, that um, uh, it helps, it, it serves to make sure that we're always authentic. That's extremely important um, for Landover, that, that we always have that element of authenticity, and, and it's there in the depth of the design and engineering. And um, it also makes it really enjoyable because then uh, we know what we stand for and how we connect with our customers. So, and then within that, we have a range of Range Rovers, clearly the Range Rover, the Range Rover Sport, the Range Rover Velar, and the Range Rover Evoque. Within Discovery Family, Discovery and Discovery Sport, and then within Defender, the 110 and the 90. Um, and those are three families, all of them equally valid, 
uh, as Land Rovers, but with different flavors, different characters within the family. How do you feel about the market essentially coming to you? I would say that the, the typical vehicle now is a, an SUV as opposed to uh, a sedan. Essentially, you've been there forever. <laughs> now everybody is, is building them. Uh, electric versions, plug-in hybrid versions, all of that. Tell us a bit about that as both an opportunity and a challenge for you. Well, of course. So um, we don't work in isolation. Of course, we look across the market, we look to see, uh, and we're, we're intellectually interested in what's happening from other competitors and how people connect with that. But all the while, we're not trying to be a better version of any other brand. We're trying to, with each of them, make a Range Rover a better Range Rover, discovery a better discovery, and so on. And our internal mantra is to say, you know, when we think about a car like Range Rover, it's in a class of one. That, that's the challenge we give ourselves. Of course, there are alternatives. Um, but we obsess about making those cars better at what they do. And, um, and I think that, that, you know, to be successful at anything, you either have to be first, best or different. Uh, invariably, we um, haven't just brought new cars to market, we've, we've created new markets. Um, and Range Rover really did that, it broke new ground. And we always have that point of difference, of authenticity, knowing, knowing who we are. And of course that evolves over time and electrification is part of that message, but the, those core attributes and that promise that stays constant over time. Mm -hmm. How do you balance out complexity and cost with consumer benefit and, ah. you know, that's, it's a difficult thing, I think, mm -hmm. uh, to, to really deal with, question. right? Really good question. And I think one of the elements we've seen is, as, as we look to progress um, through our offer, um, as we talk about Range Rover as an example, we'll talk about the offer being a combination of curation and configuration. So when it comes to the colors and materials, our experts tell us here are the very best combinations. And that's a really good conversation to have because imagine anything that you've taken the time to spend money on, you want to turn to an expert to help you to say, right, what are, what are the best combinations? We, we do that. And, um, and then of course you can configure the car to the specification you want. Now, one of the elements, as we move forward, um, one of the elements you'll hear us talk about is modern luxury and how do we really operate in the space of modern luxury. And part of that will be an intentional um, simplification to make everything is just as easy and as enjoyable as possible. And to your point, Jack, yes, obviously then that has a, that has a consequence all the way across the value chain where um, in those combinations where we're more sure of the tech rates then of course that's a, uh, a message that goes back into the supply chain, there's less waste, it's naturally more efficient. Uh, your ability to order the car and have it with you sooner is also uh, a factor as well. But that, that uh, element of um, intentionally simplifying and taking as much friction out uh, as possible is, uh, is part of the journey that we're on. Yeah, and it's an incredible journey, an incredible journey that uh, strikes me as um, continuing in the same tradition but just making things better and incrementally better and incrementally better. That's right. I mean, so sometimes we have the opportunity for sort of marginal gains and, and small steps, and other times there are bigger steps um, that we make. Um, and, and, and all the while evolving. And Range Rover is such a good example of this. So the, the analogy I like to use is go back 50 years to when the car was launched and, and the world is unrecognizable, right? So 1970. Fast forward and Range Rover is intentionally still recognizable but it's evolved and stayed relevant all that time so it's still true to its promise but it's taken the leadership position to evolve and continually be, be relevant to an audience 
Yeah. So the volume has naturally grown over time as well. well. Perfect. I think let's sum up there. Finbar McFall, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. You're very welcome. Lovely to have met you, Jack. Thank yeah. you. Nice to talk to you. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad and Chris Teague with you. Thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. It is our final segment of this week's show, and it is listener question time, as you all know. And here is our listener question for this week. Linda in Erie, Pennsylvania writes, We're about to enter the worst months of the year in terms of weather, and I'm wondering if you have any tips for me as winter sets in. Well, we have an expert to answer that question. Lauren Fix is the car coach. And uh, Lauren, give us the answer to that question, would you? Well, thanks, Jack. Yeah, I mean, I live not too far from Erie, and I know the weather gets pretty icky. So I always say that the first thing you should know is 80% of your driving decisions are based on visibility. And that may seem obvious, but don't forget to check your headlights and your wiper blades. So if you haven't replaced your wiper blades in the last six months, I highly recommend looking for a winter blade that is designed for those heavy-duty conditions that we all deal with, especially the rain and snow and ice and fog and the combination thereof. Trico, who has been in business for over 100 years, out of Buffalo, actually, makes a Trico ice blade. It's brand new. It's got the newest technology, easy to install, and you can get them at your favorite auto parts store, and they'll do it for you for free. Just pay for them. But then people say, well, I've got this check engine light. It's the holidays. I don't know what to do. This is a great thing to do. Find yourself a credit card that can cover just auto expenses. This is separate from your everyday expenses. So Synchrony has a car care credit card that's a dedicated payment service. It's good for over 1 million locations around the country. So as long as it's automotive, so it could be rental cars, it could be ride shares, it could be oil changes, tires, and anything you might need. And they're actually partnering in with Pep Boys. So, and it's their hundredth year in business as well. And they have some programs going discounts on tires, so they can also charge those expected and unexpected things that you maybe totally have been ignoring, like your brakes, the most important thing for stopping your vehicle. And to the end of December, they have a Centennial Car Care package that includes a Pennzoil synthetic oil change, one-step fuel system treatment, tire rotation, and a comprehensive maintenance checklist. So when the winter gets worse, which it will, you will be safer on the road. Those are such good tips. Thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me. And that's our show for this week. So thanks so much for being with us. Merry Christmas to you. And join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. (laughs) 